Well, good morning, Oakwood family. Uh, welcome to part four of a series we've been in for several weeks called Better Than Normal. Uh, man, worship was vertical today. Praise the Lord for that. Just uh, appreciate our worship team and all the time and effort they uh, put into everything that they do. And just, man, just a great time to be a part of God's church. We've been in this series for uh, several weeks uh, called Better Than Normal. And, and the whole premise of this is that, you know, we've been begging since pandemic hit a little over a year ago. Uh, we started asking the question right away, when are things going to get back to normal? We want to go back to normal, right? But what we want to push back on is maybe normal wasn't really that good. I mean, what if normal wasn't really what God desired? What if, what if normal wasn't, wasn't really uh, what God wanted for us? And, and what, if, what if what God really wants is better than normal? It, it, it's something different. It's something deeper. It's something further and that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And we've, we've uh, taken uh, these thoughts out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, the early church is established on the day of Pentecost. And uh, we get down there to, to, chapter, to uh, verse, two, uh, or verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts. And what it says there is that these early Christians, they devoted themselves. It, the, the scripture is very clear. They dedicated themselves to four things. And those four things we've been talking about for the last several weeks was it's the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, the koinonia, like true fellowship, like not just, you know, fellowship dinner, but we're talking like fellowship, like how are you doing spiritually, brother and sister? And to the breaking of bread, which we talked about, you know, being holy communion, and to prayer, and to constant conversations with God. And they devoted themselves to those four things. Now, today's message, as we finish up this series, is going to kind of take a step back. We're going to see the big picture. Because what I want you to think about this morning is if the early believers were doing these things and if the, the early church saw these results, because remember right there at the end of chapter 2, we read that 3,000 people were baptized that day into God's church. Overnight, it's this mega church. I mean, making, a, making some noise in Jerusalem. Just a couple chapters later, it says that 5,000 more were added and that was just counting the men. We're, we're talking this church was twenty or 25,000 people. And this didn't happen like years after Jesus died. No, Jesus had died and, rec and, and, and been raised from the dead like 50 days ago. And so it's really interesting to say, what were these early Christians, like the first Christians in the first church, what were they doing? They devoted themselves to the scriptures, to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And if we were to take a step back from all of those things and look at this and think and summarize, what was really going on? What was going on here? What, what was happening to these people as they devoted themselves to these things? And as we continue to read the book of Acts and, and, and we, we just see them continue to grow, that, that's it. They kept growing. They kept growing in their knowledge they kept growing in their knowledge of the word. They kept growing in their prayer life. They kept growing together as God's church. They were maturing in Christ Jesus. And we see that maturing process happen, and we see the results of it. Many more people in the kingdom of God, many more people changing their eternal destination, many more people living their lives and being a witness and a powerful testimony for Jesus Christ. And we go back to the basics, the fundamentals, devoted themselves to scripture, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
This process of growth, we would call sanctification. Sanctification is the process of us becoming more like Christ Jesus. We could also call this process growing up or maturing in the faith. I think if we were being honest this morning, we were to say, okay, this, this happened you know, long ago, and what's happening today, and why isn't the church functioning today like it was back in the book of Acts? And I think if you took away all the aesthetics and everything, you, you would boil it down to this. The immaturity is the Trojan horse that is killing the ministry and the witness and the testimony of the church today. It's the immaturity. And it's not the immaturity of the baby Christians that just came to the Lord or just got baptized. No, it's the ones that have been Christians for a long time. I've been a Christian, quote, all my life. And yet, when did you quit growing? When did God say, hey, get off the anvil? <laughs> when, when was it that you were not called to continue in your knowledge of the word and, and to the fellowship? When did God say, hey, break fellowship now? You don't need a fellowship with other Christians. You've grown beyond that now. Never see that. When did he say, hey, quit praying to God. Quit that constant communication with your heavenly father. Don't read that. When they say, hey, quit taking communion and quit making it a priority to be with the saints on Sunday morning in corporate worship and, and to break bread together around the Lord's table. Don't see that. It's about priorities, yes, but I think it's about growth and I think it's about maturity. And, and we can kind of think this is, this is funny, but it, it is, but it isn't. You know, it, it would be like children running things. Can you imagine like children running a company or something, you know, and they're, they stay childlike, and you know, it's absurd, but well, I just watched this video clip, it explains it. Okay, here's your homework. Um, first let me tell you the directions. Um, what, four, take away, five. One, two, three, four, five, six. Take away. What's six, take away, one? One. No, you take away, so you take away one out of six. How much does it equal? What's five, 10 minus one? I don't know. One, two, three, four, five. Six. Six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. Nope. Take away one. What is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nope. One, two, three, four, five, six, six seven, eight. And eight. And one more. And add one more. How many is equal? One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One. It equals, it makes nine. See how you take away? You take away one, and it equals one. Mm hmm Do you get it now? Yes. 
I don't know about you, but I don't think he got it. That's pretty funny, right? Well, let, me, let me take the fun off of it for a minute. There's some Christians that are kind of like that. They can't figure out how to subtract one from ten. And it's because they don't grow up and mature. Now, we expect that of babies, right? We expect that of children, right? They're, they're impressionable and they don't know everything. But we don't expect a baby to always stay a baby. Like, you ever seen a baby eat? They make a mess, right? You put them in this thing, you know, this high chair thing with this tray, and you put on a bodysuit of, you know, plastic, and they just put it everywhere. I mean, they got food in their eye and in their hair and in their ear, and you know. But you don't expect like a 23-year-old to eat like that, right? Like if you go to the restaurant today, you see some 23-year-old, and the parents are still putting them in a high chair, and they're still, you know, putting a suit on them, you know. To, it's like you just don't expect that because you expected what? You expected them to grow. You expected them to mature. And, and that's just normal to us. But for some reason... That's, that's not normal for the church nowadays. It's like, well, no, we can keep spiritual infants that, that don't, it's, it's like Jesus never made a difference in their lives, you know? They, they just continue to, to live like the world. They continue to, to sin like the world. They, they just, they continue down this path of immaturity. And I'm telling you what, I think it's destroying the witness and the testimony and the power of God's church in the way he intended us to live. We're going to look at a passage today. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, you're welcome to grab your phone or your tablet. And uh, we have this Oakwood app. You can download the Oakwood app. And in there are all the scriptures and all the bullet points. There's even a place for you in the app to take notes. You can save your notes there. We want you to engage in the sermon today. So Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 through 16. Now, let me, let me just say this. If you've been in the church world for any length of time, this passage is a foundational, fundamental passage. When, when you are in Bible college or seminary and, and you get to a senior level, you know, senior levels seminar stuff, and they start asking you to, to do things like, hey, we want you to write your philosophy of ministry, most will use this passage that we're going to read today, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It's foundational to explain how is ministry supposed to function in the body of Christ and in God's church. And yet, even though this is for that, there's so many other ramifications and applications for us today. I think you're going to find yourself thinking, wow, that was basic, and wow, why don't I apply that? And, and, and for maybe for some of you, if you're hearing this passage for the first time, it, it'll be really foundational for you. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11, the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians and the uh, believers in Ephesus, he says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until... We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> then we will no longer be 
infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're going to go through this and work through this passage of Scripture this morning. And we're going to be answering this question. What are the signs of spiritual maturity? What are some of the the markers of a person who is growing in Christ Jesus as we see the intention and some of the benefits that happen for the Lord and his church and the ministry when God's people are maturing in Christ? So what are the signs of spiritual maturity this morning? I want to share several thoughts. The first one is this. Leaders are equipping. Leaders are equipping. Look what it says in verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. We we could just make a summary about that verse and say the church leaders, the church leadership. Those those that are the, the teachers, those that are the pastoral staff, those that are the elders, those that are the deacons, the leaders... And, God, and Jesus says, I appoint these leaders into all these different areas of ministry, into all these different offices. I appoint these leaders to do what? Look at verse 12. He says, to equip his people, that's the church, the saved ones, to equip his people for works of service. Why? Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. So, the leaders are to be equipping God's people for works of service, and the result will be that the body of Christ will be built up. It'll be built up in many ways. It'll be built up in numbers. It'll be built up in strength. But leaders are to be equipping. What does that look like exactly? Leaders are to be teaching others, training others, mentoring, exhorting, and encouraging. But what have we done with the church and really done this really in the last 50 to 70 years. Nowadays, leaders are appointed to a position or maybe even hired and given a salary to do the works of service for everyone else in the church. So that everyone else in the church is just a consumer of the goods and services that the leaders do. And that is not what Scripture says. And I'm here to tell you, that's not what's going to grow you as a Christian. In fact, if you look around and you say, well, if I look at just my life or some of my family's lives or some of my friends' lives, I can see immaturity because we have taken that stance. We are expecting the pastoral staff and the elders and the deacons and those Jesus freak type people at the high level of just dedication to do these things. And Because of that, it is negating the witness, the testimony, and the evangelism of God's church. We have a very serious problem on our hands when we think, well, just the leaders should be doing that. When our call as leaders is to equip, train, mentor, encourage, and exhort you to do what Scripture 
calls you to do and to do what God is calling you to do. Leaders are not hired and appointed to do the ministry for the members. They're hired and appointed to train the members to do the ministry. And yet so many churches today operate a different way. And because of that, it negates the witness, the testimony, and the power of the evangelistic pulse in God's church. But the good news is if we dedicate ourselves to what they dedicated themselves to do in Acts 2.42, if we'll continue growing in Jesus Christ, if we'll continue to respect the leaders and listen to the leaders, I mean, the scripture talks about to look at your leaders and to watch the outcome of their way of life and to follow them joyfully. If, if we would do that, I wonder what the church could be in the future. But we see, we're starting out right here, the leaders are called to equip God's people for works of service. The result will be that the body of Christ will be built up. What's another sign of spiritual maturity? Second thing this morning, church members are growing in three areas, in faith, in knowledge, and in unity. They're growing in faith, in knowledge, and in unity. As you grow in faith, you get this mindset that Jesus and me, we can do anything. Jesus and me, as we go through all areas of life, with God, anything is possible. And we become these big faith, bet the farm, risk takers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll have risky conversations with people about the gospel. We'll, we'll actually take a risk by being an example of Jesus Christ in our workplace. We'll stand up for what's right and true and good, and we'll be set apart and live a holy life. And the world will look at us and say, you're strange and you're different. But in a good way, that you are not like the rest of the world. See, so many times I think the church was trying to become like the rest of the world. There's a lot of Christians that want to act like the rest of the world and then just claim grace. Oh, there's grace to cover that. And yet we're called to walk in newness of life, Romans 6 says. The church members are to be growing in faith. They're also to be growing in knowledge. What was the first thing it said? that the believers dedicated themselves to, the apostles' teaching, to the Holy Word of Scripture. And not just to read it, to check a box, not to, oh, I did my Devo for the day, I read that chapter. No, to read for content, to read to apply to your life, to read to study and to understand what you are reading. Is it a chore? Yes. But if I stood before you this morning and handed you a book of calculus and said, here, you would have to read and you'd have to discern and you'd have to figure things out. You'd have to study it. You'd have to dig in. We have to approach that way, the word of God sometimes. But the benefits are out of this world. Outstanding. And the depth of your knowledge and your insight into all matters of life will be greatly strengthened when you are a person of the word, when you are a student of God's word. And so the church members were growing in faith and knowledge and unity. Now this thing called unity, sometimes I think, wow, well, unity is not a big deal. Hey, unity is not a big deal till you experience a church that doesn't have unity. You ever been a part of that? 
Someone say, uh-huh, if you've been a part of that. You ever seen that in action? Uh-huh, okay, well, there's a few of you that have maybe seen that in action. You know, I would even say this, that Oakwood Christian Church has not always had perfect unity. I know a story of a French church. It had been a few years back. Uh, they were reupholstering the pews, and they almost got in a church split over the color of the pew material. You ever... I'm, I'm serious, that like became a divisional issue. Is that even like a salvational issue? Is there some kind of context and doctrine of, you know, I mean, we have green pews, okay? I mean, and their fight was over red and something else. And, you know, I, but when we're not growing, and we're not maturing, what's the real problem there with the pew color? Immaturity in the church. And when we are growing and when we are maturing, we'll find that unity is on the increase because God's people are growing up. Most disunity in the church is always, I would say always, I should probably just say most, but I think it's almost always something to do with spiritual immaturity. And when you have that in your church, you're fighting about stuff on the inside, it negates evangelism, you become inside-focused because you're always trying to manage the problems inside the body of Christ. And you become an internally-focused church because you're trying to manage all of the people inside that aren't growing, that are acting immaturely. And so, again, it's this call for us to grow up and to mature in Christ Jesus because he cares about the unity of the church. Now, if you're here in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to uh, jump up here to uh, verse 2. Verse 2. So just a few verses above here. This is what it says. He, He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And we'll find out that all of this is in love all throughout this passage, that everything that we're called to do is in this, this love. In verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, capital S, that's Holy Spirit, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's this call that we would have unity of the Spirit. It's possible to have that when people are growing, growing, not stagnant, not falling away, but growing in faith and in knowledge. Then comes unity. I want to point you to another passage this morning. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 17. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He's washed their feet. He's taught them for a while, and he's warned them, I- I'm leaving you, but the, but the Spirit, the Advocate, the, the Counselor will come. And, and it's no longer going to be uh, Emmanuel, God with us. It's now going to be Holy Spirit, God in us. And, and, and through this whole thing, he gets to the end of this discourse, okay? And this is just this is maybe like an hour before he's going to be walking to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will sweat blo- blood and pray and he'll be arrested and then crucified within just a few hours. Whipped, beaten, false trials. You, you know the Easter story. Right then, he, at the end of this time in the upper room, in John 17, he gives a prayer. Now tell me if Jesus cares about unity in his church, the body. Listen to what it says, John 17, beginning with verse 20. He says this, My prayer is not for them alone. 
He's talking, who's them? My prayer is not for them alone. Who is them? It's the disciples that are with Jesus in the upper room right then. He says, Heavenly Father, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe. That's you and me. That's all the Christians that come after the disciples. I I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, through the message of these disciples that are going to take it out to the world. Verse 21, that all of them, some of them, Jesus, no, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. There's so much depth to the in you and in me part of it, but we don't have time to get there this morning. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, unity, unified, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to what? To complete unity, And what's going to happen, Jesus? Look what he says in the prayer. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How then will the world know? It's when we come to complete unity and we submit ourselves to the will of Jesus Christ. And we continue to grow and mature in knowledge. And so many times I think that that we try to make this about, oh, it's this, or checking a box. And and we're talking like Christians, gossip should be on the decrease in your life. Ranting and speaking negative words on Facebook ought to be on the decrease in your life. Spiritual things, holiness, growth, knowledge of the world, depth, or knowledge of the word, depth of insight, prayer should be on the increase in your life and all the worldliness on the decrease in your life. And when that happens and the church gets together, man, we are unified because what? We're all growing. We're all growing. Now, I'm not saying the growth doesn't come without some pain. There's There's some pain, but there's growth. And you should be able to look at yourself from five years ago to today and say, I have grown. I am more Christ-like. God has helped bring this area of my life under his lordship and under his authority. And because of that, there's this great and powerful testimony and witness that comes out of your life. And it matters. It matters because you are a part of the body of Christ. Look what it says in verse 13. Until we all reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Church members are growing in faith, in knowledge, and in unity. Third thing this morning. Discernment is on the increase. Discernment is on the increase. Let me put this on your radar if it hasn't been. Notice what he says there in verse 14. Let's read verse 14 first. He says, then, so if he says then, what what is he saying then? He's saying in lieu of verse 13. So until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, so there's faith and knowledge, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then, when we do that, when we grow in that direction, then we will no longer be infants. Babies that can't subtract one from ten. 
We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You see, babies will believe anything. If you have a baby right now and you want to raise that baby up, you, you can tell that baby about anything and they'll believe it. If you start teaching your baby from a very young age, they look up into the blue sky and you say, that is red. That is the color red. And you condition your baby and you teach them, that is the color red. It is red. And they will start going through life and go to school and they will think blue is red. Why? Because that's what you've taught them. Babies will believe anything. They don't have any discernment. They don't have anything to draw on. That's, that's, that's just like the only knowledge that they have. Some people, that's what Sunday mornings are. Whatever comes out of this guy's mouth, that's the, that's the only knowledge I have. I don't read the Bible for myself. I sure don't study it. I mean, who's got that kind of time, right? And why would that be a priority in my life? But he says that we'll no longer be infants and we won't be able to be tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunningness and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Discernment is on the increase. And that's why it says, then we'll be able to grow in the knowledge of God's word and we will have discernment. And we will have a deeper and a growing understanding of the scriptures and actually what they say. Because let me just put this on your radar if it hasn't been. If you go to the Christian book bookstore, if you go to a Christian bookstore, and I love our Christian bookstore, Ruth's Christian bookstore, you should support that place. It's awesome. It's great to have that local in a community. Do you know how many Bibles are sold out of there a year? Thousands of Bibles. But I will tell you this. In a lot of Christian bookstores, not every book in the Christian bookstore is Christian. <gasps> really? It's a Christian bookstore. And I'm not talking about Dr. Seuss. I know he's been canceled, so that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about you have to have some discernment because you may buy this book by this author and you're reading it. Wow, this is great. This is good stuff. And then you get to chapter nine, you're like, whoa, hold back there. Wait a minute. That's a little extra biblical. That's not, that's not what I study because the apostle Paul said this and it says this in the book of Philippians. And so that doesn't line up. You see, that's called discernment. Because people will sometimes take you on a ride to Jesus plus their agenda. And they'll take you down this road and this pathway and they'll say, hey, this is where it's at. And people follow it hook, line, and sinker because they have zero discernment. Why? Because they're not growing in the knowledge of the word. But we see that when we are growing and maturing, we'll no longer be infants. And we won't be able to be tossed back and forth and read every, every line of every book, be like, oh, that's like the gospel. No, it's not. The gospel's in here. That's just someone's opinion. That's just a book. Some books are helpful. Some books are great. Some books, but this is the book. And this is what we have to know. The sermon on the increase. Fourth thing, what are the signs of spiritual maturity? Speaking truth in love. Christians, maturing Christians... And God's fully developing church will speak truth in love. What if the culture doesn't like it? Speak the truth in love. What if it doesn't agree and line up with, the, with the, you know, people that I come into contact with every day? They need the truth. I mean, sometimes, you know, we can stand back and say, well, does the truth really matter anymore? Matters to God. It should absolutely matter to us. And we know through proofing that this is the absolute word of God. 
that this is absolute truth. That this is to be the end all in all matters of faith and practice and how we live our lives. And so, we're called to speak the truth in love. Look what it says in verse 15. It says, instead, instead of being a baby and tossed back and forth and accepting any kind of doctrine, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we're going to push back on what's false, but we're going to do it in a loving way. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in what respect? In every respect, the what? The mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I love the way it reads in the Greek language. Sometimes we translate things into English and we add a word here just so it reads better. Literally, if you were to just translate it straight out of the Greek, it would say this in verse 15, instead, truthing in love. I love that. Truthing in love. That's what we're called to do as Christians. To truth in love. To do it in a loving way. Some Christians think this, and maybe you've thought this, and maybe you've thought this recently. Some Christians think that if you love someone, if you really love someone, then you must shield them from the truth so that you don't hurt their feelings. Now, how many times have you felt maybe convicted in your heart, I really need to share this with someone. I feel like they're getting off base. I feel like they're not moving God's direction. In fact, they're moving away from God, and they don't even realize it. It's not even intentional. Some people, it's intentional. Yeah, they like their sin, but some people, it's not. And you have felt compelled, but you will not actually go and confront them. You will not go truth in love to them. Why? Because you're afraid you might hurt their feelings. And because that's what God's called us to do is to be nice Christian people that never, what does it say in Scripture? Admonish one another. Pray for one another. Talk to one another. Hold one another accountable. No, we would like to just black out those parts of what we're called to do as Christians and just highlight and emphasize the easy stuff. You see, that stuff's not easy, but that's what the Bible tells us to do. And sometimes we just get caught up in, in, in thinking that that's, that's it. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that is immature thinking and immature living. And the mark of maturity is that you as a Christian would be able to speak and share the truth of God's word in a loving way to brothers and sisters in Christ, especially if you see them moving away from God or moving the wrong direction in life. Fellow Christians are called to speak the truth and love to one another. And here's the truth of it. Truth unites, lies divide. Think about it. If, if we line up with the truth, truth is a unifying factor. Truth unites. Lies have this tendency to divide. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, in the New American Standard Bible says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. If I came to you and said, hey, what would you rather have? Would you rather have wounds or kisses. You're probably like, hey, I'll take kisses, right? Wounds sound like that could hurt and that could scar. But look at what the scripture says. Faithful is a person. And are there wounds that cause the, the hurt feelings in your life of a friend? Why? Because hopefully they're truthing in love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And a lot of us, we'd rather have the kisses of an enemy than to have our friends speak truth into our lives this has been said truth without love is brutality 
but love without truth is hypocrisy. May we, as God's church, not be hypocritical, but that we would be speaking truth in love. Last thing this morning, ministry service will be on the increase. Ministry service will be on the increase. This is the mark and the sign of someone who is growing spiritually, spiritual maturity, is a ministry service will be on the increase. Look at verse 16. It says, from him, the whole body is joined. It's talking about Jesus Christ. From him, the whole body, the whole body, that's all the believers sitting in here this morning. From him, the whole body is joined together and held together by every supporting ligament. So if you're wondering, what am I this morning? You are a ligament in the body of Jesus Christ. Held together and supported by every supporting ligament. And it does what? It grows and what? It builds itself up when? And how? In love. It builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. As each part does its work. The body of Christ is, built, built up, is being built up. Why? Because we are maturing and advancing and growing in our faith. Now, I know what some of you would say. Some of you would say, well, spiritual growth is extremely personal. And I would say true. But I would also say your spiritual growth is extremely corporate. Why? Because of what this passage says. And this isn't the only passage. There's, there's so many texts in the New Testament that talk about us being the body of Jesus Christ. You are the part. When you walk into that saving relationship with Jesus Christ, when you taste the watery grave of baptism and you're raised to walk in newness of life, you come to this point where you are now a part of the body of Christ, the church. You are a supporting ligament and when those supporting ligaments will grow and mature, then the body of Christ builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And we will see ministry and service on the rise. You'll see it in the church, outside the church. You'll see it everywhere. It is extremely personal, but it is also extremely corporate. And here's the fact this morning. Your spiritual maturity level and the example in Christ that you exude, it either builds or destroys the witness and the testimony of God's church. That's how critical this is. Your maturity level and example in Christ either builds up or destroys the witness and the testimony of the church. So take a Step back and look at how you're living. And look at how you're studying the word. Look at how you're in fellowship with other believers and allowing them to pour into your life. Look at what your church attendance is like, the priority. When we come and we gather around the Lord's table, look at where you're at in your prayer life, in your communication with God. The early church, the early Christians, devoted themselves, they dedicated themselves to these things. And I'll use the words of Paul when he said this, you are not your own, you are bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So live for him. Because what you do and how you live affects everyone else in the body of Christ. And we're all an important part of it, called his church. And I'm telling you what, I think our best days are ahead of us as a church.
if we will take this next step and continue to grow, grow. That's the call this morning, to grow up in your salvation. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 in, in the message says it this way. It says, let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises on Christ and let's get on with the grand work of art. Wow. And some of you may feel like, yeah, that's me. I, I, I admit it. I've been a Christian all my life, but I'm like a preschooler. Still finger painting for Jesus. Folks, it's time to grow up. It's time to take that next step in, to study the word, to fellowship with the saints, to make it a priority, to break bread around the Lord's table, and to be a people of prayer. Because when we do that, we're going to see the church grow spiritually in depth. We're going to see the church grow numerically because the world's going to see that witness and testimony. And we're going to be on fire and knowledgeable to share our faith. It's going to change. It could change Enid if it would just take that step toward growth. In just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And hopefully you got those emblems as you came in this morning. If not, feel free to slip out and grab those. Hopefully if you're with us online, you've made those preparations at home. As we come into this time of communion this morning, we're going to take the bread that represents Jesus' body and the cup that represents his blood. And Jesus commanded us to do this in remembrance of him. Now, I want to tell you, we've talked a lot this morning about unity. This communion where we gather around the Lord's table, and it's not just us here at Oakwood, it's, it's all the believers all around the world that would take communion today. As we gather around the Lord's table and we Take the bread and the cup. I call this the unity meal. Because in this moment, we have unity because of Jesus Christ. It's only by his sacrifice. It's only by his blood that anything I talked about today is possible. You try to do today on your own strength, you will most likely fail. But through the power, that same resurrection power that raises Jesus from the dead, that resurrection power working in your life. It's amazing the growth that you will see. Let's pray. And then let's take the Lord's Supper together. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity we have. And God, I think that so many of us this morning, yeah, we've been challenged. God, your word is plain and clear. We're part of the body of Christ. We're to be growing in you, maturing in you, and so many times we don't do that. And Lord, I just pray, help us. Take us on that journey. Show us what that looks like and encourage us along the way, Lord. God, I pray that Oakwood, uh, the church that meets here at 401 North Oakwood Road, Lord, that we could be a church that takes your mission seriously, that we wouldn't be marked by immaturity and by the infighting that seems to, to follow that, but Lord, we'd be a church that is mature and we'd be mission-minded and we'd be able to pour into each other's lives and to encourage each other to live the life that you've called us to onward and upward in Christ Jesus. God, as we gather around your table now, as we take this, this bread that represents your body and this cup that represents your blood, Lord, we're around here as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family. The family has come to your table to acknowledge that, that you love us so much that you would sacrifice Jesus. 
And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone that has not made that decision to give their life to you, or maybe, maybe they've made it a long time ago, Lord, but they need to repent of their sins. They need to quit moving away from God and start moving towards you. God, I pray, just use these next few minutes to continue to speak into our minds and our hearts with your spirit. But God, we come before you now to gather around your table, this unity meal, because we know we're unified together through the blood of Christ Jesus. God, we pray all these things in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you would, just take a few moments here and commune with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.